Hey guys, what's up? It's Taylor back with your favourite podcast, Dalloway and Me. Today we will be conversating about the textual conversations between Virginia Woolf's Dalloway the novel and Daldry's adaption to the text, the movie, The Hours. For all the Dalloway lovers, Streep, Juliana Moore, or simply just the lovers of the love story of Mr. Wolf and his dearly beloved late wife, Virginia, who will forever be held in high regard due to her textual conversations between her most valued piece of work, Miss Dalloway, and Michael Cunningham's appropriation of the hours. The pair in which seemed to be a favourite around here, and as appropriated, I have conducted the process of separating something into its constituent elements and detailed examination of the elements or structure between the two pieces, and are willing to share with you if you're willing to listen. The more you know, the more you can control. Wolf's novel is formally very innovative with her use of employing a stream of consciousness and free indirect discourse. But does the patiche homage help with her intellectual connection to Dalloway's piece or rewire your thought process? Everything we go through or experience is a journey, whether it is transformed, appropriated or adapted. The transience in life builds off the existing. Knowledge and time is essentially power. Between Wolfe and Daldry, two powerful composers of Dalloway the novel and The Hours the movie, the transformative conversationalist adaption of Wolfe's novel. The texts work as a guide for one another and represent the context of their time alongside their role, position and aspect in society. A common pairing between the text is the author's, Wolfe and Daldry's consistent way of not answering with a simple portrait but with novel-like sketches. The texts are in so many individual fragments, you're indispensable, putting together a jigsaw puzzle of consistencies, whilst getting grasp of the multidimensional minds of our titular character, alluding to the mystery, spirit of our age while analysing the two texts and where they overlap and differentiate. For heaven only knows why loves it so, how one sees it so, making it up, building it, round one, tumbling it, creating it, every moment afresh. But the various frumps, the most dejected of mysteries sitting on the doorsteps, drink their downfall, do the same, can't be dealt with, she felt positive, by the acts of parliament, for that very reason. They love life. This quotation, part of Clarissa's thoughts, as she walks to the flower shop in the early morning and Big Ben chimes the hour, reveals her strong attachment to life and the concept of life as her own invention. The long galloping sentence full of commas and semicolons mirrors her excitement at believing, sorry, being alive on this June day. Clarissa is conscious that the impressions of things around her do not necessarily hold beauty or meaning in themselves, but the humans act as architects, building the impressions into comprehensible and beautiful moments. She herself reveals in this act, in the effort life requires, and she knows that even the most improvised person living on the streets can derive the same wonder from living. She sees that happiness does not belong to a particular class, but to all who can build up a moment and see beauty around them. In being with both my prescribed texts, Wolfe's and Daldry's use of the temporal marker, Big Ben, or clock sounds, keeps the reader in notion to time, in style, with time carefully crafted among the key elements in each piece. Also sharing the elusive change of state, free indirect discourse, Dalloway darts in and out of characters' heads, all progressively telling the same story. In the hours, it switches into three narrative plot strands, 
or three different colour tones. One being Laura Brown, a housewife. Two, the author, Virginia Woolf. And three, Clarissa Dalloway. Daldry's cost cuts also taking play, overlapping and interconnecting key features with each other to impression the feel and interpretation of time merging, like in Dalloway. Then from that moment, she had seen an illumination, a match burning in a crocus, an inner meaning almost expressed, but the clothes withdrew, the hard softened. It was over the moment. Against such moments with woman two, they're contrasted as she laid her hat down. The bed and the baron and the marbit and the candle half burnt, Carissa recalls some of the moments of profound beauty in her life. Though she's had these special moments, that has always faded quickly as life. Big Ben also acts as a parallaxis, how it has the same meaning to the plot and characters in many different ways and interpretations through both my prescribed texts represented through the report speech, making it personal, allowing you, the reader, no matter what time period, to create your own adaptation in your head. Life is a purpose and is forever. We're a stream of consciousness represented by interior monologues for they might be parted for hundreds of years. She and Peter, she never wrote a letter and his dry sticks, but suddenly it would come over her. If he were with her now, what would he say? Some days, some sights bring him back to her calmly without the old bitterness. From someone born in this modern world, analyzing with modern eyes, I tend to have a magnified view of the world and context of times. With my deep understanding of different times, texts and forms, the hours are pensively formed by Daldry and Cunningham. The use of frame shots, pensive shots and the mirroring of sequences all juxtaposed to one another. Framing as the same intro of the score is quiet. 1950, Dan enters the house, bringing flowers. Laura is sleeping, 1923, Leonard enters the house, Virginia is sleeping. 2001, Sally enters the house pans to the Clarissa sleeping. The music speeds up and they're all awake. All of that alongside the ambiguous credits montage. Daldry's use of reoccurring motifs. Water. Water poses as a threat to the characters in the hours, beginning with Virginia Woolf's drowning in the prologue. But it also creates a boundary in space in which the characters can observe their lives from a distance and understand the situations with greater clarity. The hour starts with Virginia Woolf's suicide in a river and she is simultaneously pulled away by the current with a rock in her pocket, but still somehow able to perceive the world above the water. Through Virginia ends her life in the river, at that moment of drowning, she transcends her body and sees the world of profound ludicity. Soon after this scene, Clarissa Dalloway steps out of her house into the New York morning, echoing the first scene of Wolf's Miss Dalloway. She compares going out into the day, entering a swimming pool, her everyday life confronts and preserves her as if she were underwater. The darker ramifications of the prologue imply that Carissa is drowning in her own existence, though buoyed by the events of normal life. She runs the risk of being sucked down and consumed like Virginia, the mystic object in the hours around her, and they ground her in each scene, tangible, imaginable reality. Each object's precise, simple description vividly deposits the various locations of the novel conveying a sense of place vital to our imaginations of the three characters worlds the domestic life to each character carries significance 
Virginia feels frustrated by her life in the suburbs and wants to return to the city. She has a terrible trouble with the tasks of managing a household. Clarissa loves her, her apartment and her life. But she feels ambivalent about the choices she has made and sometimes feels alienated from the domestic trappings of her home. Laura feels confined by her role as a housewife and though she has a cookie-cutter life, she questions the value of simple pleasures of domesticity. Flowers and the subject of the famous opening line of Miss Dalloway and appear throughout the hours as the tools to brighten moments of charged emotional intensity. In Miss Dalloway, the story begins with the epimose character leaving her house to buy flowers for the party and that evening Clarissa Vaughan leaves her apartment with the same intention flowers particularly roses have different connotations for each of the major characters for Virginia the roses around the bed of the dead bird signify rest and funeral blakeness Clarissa takes great pleasure in the flowers she buys she brings Richard flowers to brighten his dark apartment and she brings some home to spruce up her own apartment when Mary Kroll notices the flowers, Clarissa feels defensive because they signify a conventional domesticity that Mary wouldn't approve of. For Sally, a perfect cluster of roses is a present and she knows Clarissa will appreciate. Laura sees the roses she puts on her birthday for a table for Dan as a way to make up for a mental distance she puts between herself and her family. Both prescribed texts link back to each other again with ending in suicide, not only Richard and Septimus, the mise-en-scene of Virginia's voice reading her suicide note at the beginning and the end of the hours. Not two people could have been happier. What I want to say is that I owe all the happiness of my life to you. You have been entirely patient with me. And incredibly good. Everything is gone from me but the certainty of your goodness. I can't go on spoiling your life any longer. I don't think two people could have been happier than we have been. The intertextuality between the two texts as they intermingle, the transience of the simple existing, finding the intellectual spirituality in yourself whilst drawing on two texts, whilst being refined by the time in which you live. 1950 feminism, housewife, Laura Brown. 1923, Virginia Woolf, author. Depression, psycho. Or 2001, Clarissa Dalloway, a Miriam of all three. While essentially drawing off the main aspects of each other, I will kill myself. The author of both texts incorporating the parallaxes, all just trying to find a purpose. Both texts are like a thesaurus for one another. You couldn't read one and understand one without the other. We dismantle, reconstruct and recycle what we know. More often than not, we have experienced the outcome of our situation in our mind long before our brains acknowledge the fact. Keeping the above in mind with the change of perspective and transformation from one text to the other, novel to film, breaking the form, the stream of consciousness. We are the stream of consciousness, not just reading about it, but evaluating it to the extent of the human mind is capable of and how truly powerful. I do not feel it ends, nor do I feel it has one sole purpose. I am privileged, I am white, and I am Australian and living in a modern world. 
The texts both help me reflect on myself. My life is just recycled and readapted of the things the women and all these texts went through and laid the stones for women like me. The pursuit of yourself entwined with the relationship you have with your interpretations of your own life alongside these informative texts of consciousness, hierarchy, psychoanalysis is always at play, differentiating the real from the non-existent, just like what very own goes on in my head. The immortal presence fell upon, quotation, creating the juxtaposition of the trivial and foremost aspects in your own mind. Thank you so, so much for that. I'm so glad that you guys enjoyed that as much as I did. Well, I'm hoping anyway. It's just really fun to listen to other people's perspectives on a novel sometimes, I guess. And yeah, that was mine. Thank you. If you guys would like to hear more from me, subscribe, hit the button up top. Dalloway and me back weekly. Thank you.